everyone, welcome to Handing the Shame Bag, a show dedicated to the survivors of child sexual abuse all around the world. We're very grateful that we're in many countries now and cities and many of you join us. So thank you for your support. Um, the show is dedicated to survivors and as we know, the numbers are huge out there and this is one attempt at giving survivors a sense of community and a safe place to land. Um, as with all shows, we have a trigger warning and the reason for that is that if you feel triggered or upset, please don't keep watching. Go to the show notes below and you'll be directed to some help and resource. I'm very grateful to have amazing guests I can bring you from all over the world and this one is no exception. She comes to us all the way from Mid Wales in the UK. Her name is Juanita. It's quite late at night there, um, but she is a survivor, she's an advocate, and she's also a poet. Welcome to the show, Juanita. Thank you, Gloria. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me. And yeah, thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Yeah. As with with all um, amazing survivors, both watching, listening, past guests, future guests, I tend to ask you where it began, how old you were, and what happened over the course of your childhood. And the reason for that is that's one thing you may say may be of help or support to a person listening or more than one survivor listening and that's all this is so um how old were you when this abuse began and can you tell us a little bit about who was involved or any details you're comfortable to share okay so i so i had multiple abuses but um so i was systematically abused by two people so one of them being um, the headmaster of my primary school, from which started from between the ages of three and five, um, up until thirty. Well, I, yeah, I say eleven, but thirteen. It was really up until the age of thirteen, and then I was also abused in the home as well by a cousin that come to live with us. He was a few years older than me, and he got brought into the home supposedly uh, I remember being told that he you know was going to be like my big brother but um big brother you could do without for sure so very violent as well as well as um sexually abusive so but there's numerous other, uh, sorry. sorry say again Gloria so, so physically okay. physically abusive and and sexually abusive and and I guess too psychologically was there was he yeah. psychologically abusive to you as well yeah he was because yeah it's like there was nowhere to run with him and he just um yeah he used to just get away with he just used to get away with everything he's only a few years older I don't know what had happened in his home life that he had to come live with us but it was almost like he was getting a free pass with stuff it felt like he was never told off for anything so yeah but yeah 
just so were you the only child and and I'm a you're you're an only child or you had other siblings no so I've got two younger sisters and then I went on to have two half brothers one from mum one from dad but that was later but I, I'm the eldest so that first part of my childhood um I felt like an only child it was four years before my next sister came along so. goodness me and uh, we know sometimes that with the weight of being the oldest um the con contribution of that is trying to keep uh younger siblings safe yeah definitely i did yeah i tried i don't know if i succeeded but i i, I hope i did at least sounds awful but at least so that my sister wasn't as young as I had been when yeah. stuff started I'm and look it's it's a nightmare and one of the things we know and for some of our amazing survivors watching hello lovely ones um is that when you are the eldest or an older sibling um there's this awful feeling that I I wish I could have done more, but when we look back at the beautiful young child you were as that older sibling, you were still a child. So, yeah, don't have the power. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a yeah, it's a tough. It is a tough one. So it's not. It's only I think maybe something like eighteen months ago that my sister the next sister down um i was with her and her partner and we were talking about the um part the part of the abuse and this part had come up about me saying um i because i still obviously i still feel guilty because because also you'd be told like look after your sister and i felt like yeah I would, i'd hate to have let her down in any way but um and I remember him saying to her partner saying, it, you were a child, it wasn't your place, it wasn't your job, it wasn't your place to be looking after her. But yeah, I, until then, I'm 52 years old now, until then I still hadn't really looked at it like that. I was still feeling like, uh, like I was in charge. And yeah, no, you know, obviously I shouldn't have been in charge. Well, and for a lot of us, you know, who experienced child sexual abuse, what you experienced was being projected onto. So your mother told you to look after. Uh, but the reality is that was her job, not your job. And I think sometimes we take that responsibility very seriously, but as your sister's partner pointed out you were just a child as well and if we looked at photos of you at that age what what are you meant to do as a seven or eight year old you know yeah how can you yeah. keep off someone who's determined to sexually abuse you I know you and I talked off here as well Juanita and and um you know your your other abuser your main abuser are you able to tell us about him when you were at school primary school so yeah so the headmaster of my primary school 
that started abusing me when I was so young that I can't even remember, but between the ages of three and five, um, sexual abuse. Um, so yeah, so it started off with abuse in the school. So he'd isolate, isolate me in the school. Uh, he used to abuse me in the shed that was on the, on the school grounds under the pretense of he'd take a few of us children to like go and get supplies and um, and then he'd let the other children go back, but then he'd keep you there. I don't really know how he used to isolate us, to be honest, and it would be us, because um, I'm sure that he'd been doing that there for many years. And I'm sure I probably wasn't the only child at that same time as well. Um, yeah. And then that opportunity being a headmaster of a school, there are all the children. And, you know, when you yeah. when you think about it, he was able to isolate you because he was the headmaster, whatever he wanted, yeah. as you say. Yeah. So what yeah. would he, how would he get you, the small group of you, out of the classroom? What would he, what would he, how would he manage to do that? He'd just, he'd literally just come, he would just come in and be like, I need these ones to come and help carry, like, um, I remember there'd be like either books or um, school, literally school supplies, or if we were having like sports events, it would be to come and get the sports equipment. Um, and of course, you're talking like, um, like um, I want to say skipping ropes and things like that, but it was because this is primary school, so you're only little as well. So like balls and things like that. But yeah, just and but yeah, nobody ever. When I look back now, I think of the teachers. Why didn't is it, hindsight's a wonderful thing? Um, you know, why didn't anybody question that? And did they question it? Did they wonder in their mind? Did they did they know? Um, I know it was a different time, but um, they probably yeah. probably do now. But yeah. the interesting thing is, you know, really when you think about it as an adult and as you say, with the benefit of hindsight, if you're needing help with carrying things or items, wouldn't you get the big boys from the older classes? Yeah. Well, I think he used to, he used to play on this thing as if he was um, teaching us to do chores because oh. we do all have little jobs, you know, like um, I remember being given a broom. Every time I sweep, I remember him, these horrible things that, you you know, these memories that you get. Because he taught me how to use the broom, and that was in school. But, yeah, so he'd have you, which seemed to everybody else, oh, isn't he wonderful, you know, so hands-on, so, like, getting the children to do, you know, like, inclusive. Um, yeah, everybody thought he was, like, the bee's knees, He, you know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, indispensable. Oh. And then, then, as you said, then he, he ended up coming to your home. Now, how did he manage to transition yeah. so he could abuse you in both places? How was that? How was that possible? So he was, so he used the pretense of music lessons. So I was, was quite gifted with music. So, yeah, so then he came giving like private tutorial in the home. So then he was coming to the home address up until the age of when I was 13. I'd even left the school. I left the school at nine, but he was still coming to our home address. But he would have been doing that with Sue so as a Welsh speaker, very involved with the church. 
um you know where uh, he literally embedded himself everywhere and uh, every, anywhere hiding in plain sight Lit very absolutely yeah it is so you, you you had him at school and at home for our audience yeah for some some of our survivors, school was a safe place, not so in yours. For other of our survivors, home was a safe space, not so for you. Uh, you had your cousin there, and he was there until I think you were a teenager. Is that right? Yeah, up until about thirteen. I mean, he was still coming there, but but that's when I remember it, that he was li he lived with us. So he was very sort of involved with the family home and living in the home from between my age of between five up until I want to say eleven, thirteen. But but yeah, but he was he'd be there on and off. But yeah, but yeah. So started off with I, I don't remember a time not being not being abused by him in some way because he's a few years older um but it progressed with his age him getting more of a bully um so violence with him um he's just he's just a like yeah and what um and then from with mum and dad with did they ever wonder what was going on or did they ever wonder because obviously you would have well, your personality would have changed, I imagine. You can't be the same child, yeah. you know, yeah. when you're frightened. No, so, yeah, I was, um, no, it was, a, it was a really difficult upbringing in the home as well. Mum and dad were, had a terrible relationship, um, just very volatile, lots of screaming, shouting, raking of furniture, milk bottles I remember being smashed and just it was just it literally did feel like a war zone to me um and it was it was and so yeah just no safety no safety and and nobody felt like nobody to go to so I even when I was about five I went to the next door neighbours and knocked on their door because they had no children and they were a young married couple. And I remember thinking, I wonder if they, if I could be their child. I wonder if they'd want a child and I could be theirs. I went and knocked on their door and asked if I could live with them. Mm. While mum and dad were having a blazing row and didn't even know that I'd left the home. And, okay. and, and you know, and the, the fact is, I think you'd, you'd mentioned too at some point, Dad wasn't there often. Dad was at work an awful lot. He did. <laughs> it's awful, but I was thinking maybe no wonder because I don't want to give mum all the blame either. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, yeah, no, dad was at work a lot. But, yeah, mum did work as well. But, yeah. Sorry, just let me cut her. Animals, the joy. So you, yes, and and it's just so complex, isn't it? Uh, you know, if you did not have the relationship with mum, um, I think you know you. How would you describe your mum? Uh, approachable, not approachable, easy to get on with, difficult. Um, how would you describe? I uh, extremely difficult. 
volatile, um, not approachable. No. Just not an easy person at all. And even bordering on to my sister. I, 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 I feel guilty to say it, but um, as if she's seriously not right, as if she's undiagnosed with maybe some sort of mental illness. She's not not right. No. Well, it, it says everything that even as a small child, you, you knew you couldn't approach her. So I think that's really important to hold that and trust that instinct that small children have uh, because yeah. there was a reason that you couldn't. And, you know, the, these weren't the only abusers. I think um, I think you had mentioned off here, by the time you took this to the police, you had how many names? Uh, I went to the police um, for the first time in the late 1990s. I think it was 97. Yeah. Um, I gave eight names to the police from my childhood childhood abuse. And were you, uh, you know, obviously just how did you feel that that this just kept happening? What was your thought processes around it? Can you remember all these? I, I just... I can't quite put my. It's like trying to put myself back to um, think about it. I, I I felt I did sort of. I felt like I almost had a label on me, you know, like abuse me or, and I feel like maybe people they that they they could see it because I'd already been abused. I think I probably did just stand out as like sort of prime target and being quiet and shy and because it was quiet and shy and. Mum used to call it moody. Did she ever ask why you were? Or no, no, no. She just like this is why she's so difficult. Rather than ask why and try to like find out, you you know, reassure and, and try and find out, she'd just make um just tease me about it, just tease so that it's like. Because that's a child's way sometimes of trying to say when they haven't got the words to be able to say it is it comes out in your behaviour, your emotions. But um, It's usually the way it comes out. And I think yeah. that's a good point you raise for those watching who feel guilt and shame because sometimes as survivors we do just remember this. As a child, you're more likely to show through behaviour or action and body language than you ever are to use a word or utter a word. And I think to this day, unfortunately, there's still a little misnomer or myth out there that children will speak. No, children won't. They don't have the courage. And so we've no. got to stop expecting that. Um, so just as we're going into close, because this is part one and, and part two, we're going to go into what helped you and what you would advise to other survivors. But just as we're closing out with part one, I guess my question is, were you successful at all in your attempt at, at seeking justice through the courts in the late 90s? No, sadly not. I wasn't, no. When I, as I was reporting the headmaster, um, literally sat in the police station reporting it another police officer came in and um 
had to inform us to stop all the proceedings because he died a fortnight before. Just absolutely, I can't even, devastating. I, I just can't even put it into words how I felt with that. Oh, Juanita, I'm so sorry you had that experience. Oh, you know, yeah. ju justice wasn't served in this realm, but hopefully it's being served in the next. Yeah. But look, please, please stay there. Um, just as I'm going to close up this part with our beautiful audience, I just want to thank you. And and I, I just think that, you know, what you're able to share and, and help us as survivors with is recognizing that sometimes when, when, when children are isolated, they become so much easier to target. And that was Juanita's case and her experience. Um, she couldn't approach her mum because her mum wasn't really available to her and dad wasn't physically available to her. So by the time you add all of that up, for a small child to go next door and ask to live with them, says it all. So I just want to honour Juanita for that. And please tune in for part two because we're going to look at what this amazing survivor was able to do and uh, things that did help her in her road to recovery and healing. So as always, beautiful ones, I see you, I stand beside you and I believe you.